name's Pete, I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, you're joining us as we uh, work through this little series in Habakkuk. So let's pray together as we come to God's word. Uh, Father, as we uh, come to you now to listen to you, we pray that you would give us expectant hearts, eager to hear your voice. And please too, Lord, would you give us humble hearts, ready to trust and help us while we wait for the coming of Christ to live by faith in your promise. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. I'm just going to give the guys at the back a minute to sort out my microphone. Do you want me to keep talking, David, so you can, yeah, figure out what's going wrong? And try and sort out the lingering buzz. Is that any better? Do you want me just to shout? <laughs> that sounds better to me from here. Yeah, great, let's go. Okay, um, let me ask you, how do you find waiting? We just did 10 seconds of it then. How do you find waiting? For the nation that invented queuing, most of us are not very good at waiting. As a society, we are impatient, restless, busy, always in a hurry. We drive, I drive, at the maximum speed on the motorway to get to the destination as quickly as possible. And if there's a minor delay of a traffic jam, I cry out with rage. We're no longer content just to have broadband. We have to have super fast fiber optic broadband. And we cry out in frustration still when the page doesn't load within a few seconds. Some of you will remember the days when you had to wait until you got back from holiday and then more days to get your film developed, to look at your holiday snaps. Whereas now you take a picture and when we take a picture on holiday, Lydia's running towards the phone before I've even taken the picture to see what it looks like. We live in a speed-addicted, instant society. I recently saw an advert for, for New Balance, the sportswear company, and the tagline is, impatience is a virtue. When you know what you want, waiting is not an option. That's the mantra of our society, isn't it? And we should be honest, and that's brought us, that's brought us lots of good things. Fast computers and fast internet are amazingly powerful tools. But if you want evidence that instant is not always good, I simply offer you two words, instant coffee. Now look, um, I, I'm a coffee snob, I admit it. I've got nothing against people who drink instant coffee. And in the grand scheme of things, it's not a big deal at all, is it? But what about when it is? What about when we are wrestling with deep concerns, long-term struggles that just won't go away, difficult situations that aren't changing when you've been praying for months and months and it feels like God isn't listening. In, in that case, our restless impatience impedes and imperils our relationship with God. We are always in a hurry, but God rarely is. So what do you do when you know what you want? Apparently waiting is not an option. So what do you do then 
when God tells you to wait? I don't think this is working anymore. What do you do when God tells you to wait? The Bible often describes waiting on the Lord. We heard it in our call to worship this morning in Psalm 130. Wait for the Lord. And I, my guess is that lots of us, we've heard the cliche, we might even know something of what it means in theory. But if you're anything like me, we don't actually know that, that much of what it means in practice to wait on the Lord. But to, to wait on the Lord, to live lives of quiet, patient trust in our frenetic and frantic world, as we're going to see, it's essential for the journey that Habakkuk is on from why to worship. Dave, would you mind just clicking me on one? Thanks, because this isn't working anymore. Um, so we're, on, we're joining Habakkuk on this journey from, from why to worship. And what we're going to see in the middle is that waiting is essential. Waiting is essential. We need to learn how to do it. And Habakkuk's going to teach us. So five things. Here's the first. Wait with perspective. Wait with perspective. One of the the big things that we've seen in this book is how we're encouraged to engage with the Lord with honesty, to bring our confusion and our questions to God, to to ask him questions like Habakkuk does. How long, O Lord, must I call for help? But you do not listen. Or cry out to you, violence, but you do not say. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? This is what we do when we are confused, when we have questions, when we're grasping for God's ways. How can we do otherwise? In confusion, we pray. When we don't understand, we pray. We go to the Lord and then we wait. And after all the turbulence of chapter one, the confused questions, the perplexed bewilderment, the growing fear, chapter two begins with Habakkuk climbing up the city walls to the watchtower to wait. It's an appropriate place for him to be, given that God has promised an army that's going to invade their city. But Habakkuk is not there to wait for the Babylonians to appear on the horizon. He's there to wait for the Lord. Like the the football manager uh, climbs up to the stands to watch the first half from high up rather than on the touchline. Habakkuk climbs high to get some perspective on what's going on. To get a, a different view of things. And I don't know how you find it. Sometimes I find living in a city quite claustrophobic. And so from time to time, it's good for me just to get out of the city and get into the mountains. To get up to the top of something and look out. To get some perspective on my life. And in difficult situations, we we need to do that spiritually. It's so easy, isn't it, just to look at your life and your problems from ground level and that's all you can see. But we have to get some perspective, to get some perspective on who God is and what he's doing in the world and in our lives. In Romans 8, Paul talks a lot about suffering, which he knew more about than most of us. But he puts it in perspective. He says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. He's comparing it 
getting some perspective on the whole view of God's story. It may help you to physically go high, if you can. It does for me. But most importantly, we have to keep listening to Scripture, keep listening to God's bigger story, keeping that glorious end in view. Wait with perspective. And secondly, wait with expectancy. Wait with expectancy. Habakkuk's on the watchtower waiting, but he's not passively sitting around scrolling through Instagram to pass the time. He's desperate to hear God's voice, and he expects that God will speak to him. Habakkuk knows, as the Puritan wrote, uh, John Flavel wrote in his book, The Mystery of Providence, he wrote, one word of God can do more than 10,000 words of men to relieve a distressed soul. And so Habakkuk knows that what he needs more than anything is to hear God's voice. What he needs more than anything is God's word to bring the perspective that he needs. But Habakkuk also knows that that word is not always quick in coming. Sometimes you have to wait. Look, I I know that life is busy. But if your time reading scripture is always hurried and rushed, if you squeeze it into as little time as possible, don't be surprised if you find yourself frustrated that God doesn't seem to be speaking to you powerfully through it. So many of us, we treat our quiet times like the game I used to play when I was a kid, knocking on people's doors and then running away before they could open it. But reading the Bible, listening to God speak, it involves a measure of waiting, pondering, really listening to God. As we've seen in Habakkuk, God wants your honesty. He wants you to pour out your heart in prayer to him. But he also seeks our humility, a willingness to wait, to see what he will say, to linger, to listen, to be humble and teachable as well as honest and direct. God is a God who speaks, and so he expects of people who will listen. And so Habakkuk stands at his watch like a sentry, waiting, listening, expecting an answer, and he does not move until he gets it. You can ask uh, Danny, he's on holiday at the moment, but when he gets back from holiday, you can ask Danny what it's like to be on watch, and he will tell you that it doesn't matter how you feel you do not leave your post. It doesn't matter if you're bored or tired or hungry or if your feet are sore, you stay at your watch. And that's what Habakkuk does, even though he is struggling with God massively. He's confused and bewildered, but he isn't going anywhere. It may be like that for you. You may feel weary. You may feel that God is absent. You may feel a deep sense of disappointment, your prayers not being answered, things in your life are getting worse rather than better. You, maybe you feel like you're just not getting anything out of your relationship with God. Stay. Wait. So often our response is to walk away. We stop praying, we stop reading the Bible, we stop coming to church because we feel bad, because we're not getting anything out of it. And instead we run to things that we think will make us feel better. Pornography or food or alcohol or buying stuff or just self-pity. But Habakkuk urges us, don't leave your post. Wait. Wait 
expectantly. Thirdly, wait with patience. Wait with patience. Verse 1 is still Habakkuk speaking to God. And in verse 2, we get the Lord's answer. The Lord gives Habakkuk a, a revelation, a vision. And he tells Habakkuk, you need to write this down. Make it plain. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end. It will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. I wonder how you feel about that. Habakkuk has been waiting, we don't know how long, waiting for God to speak. And now, finally, God graciously, by the way, replies to Habakkuk by telling him he's going to need to wait some more. The waiting isn't over yet. Sometimes waiting can be painful, can't it? But it's vital that we learn to wait because God is not in a hurry. Now, this is not God saying like I do. Oh, yeah, I will get round to it. I haven't got round to it yet, but I will get round to it at some point. No, no, no. This has, God says, an appointed time. There is a date fixed in God's diary. And what he promises certainly will come to pass. But it's not yet. That's part of the reason why Habakkuk has to write it down. Because this revelation, it's about a future date. There's going to be a wait before it's fulfilled. And so it needs to be written and preserved and kept until it is fulfilled. But it also tells us something about the importance of what God is saying. I remember as a student in one of our revision lectures before the exam, our lecturer paused while she was explaining a particular case. And she said to us, she sort of turned around from the board and said, if I were you, I'd write this down. Given that she had set the exam, we knew what the hint was. This case is going to be on the exam. Write it down. It's important. That's what God is doing here. What God is saying to Habakkuk is, this is really important. And it needs to be broadcast as widely as possible. So write it down. Because this answer, it's not just for Habakkuk. It's for all of God's people through the centuries who cry out to God in anguish and confusion. Habakkuk's personal complaint gets a universal answer. Because God wants everyone, including you, to know what he's going to do. But you need to know it will require waiting. It will require waiting with patience. And that patience, it takes a deliberate act of humility. Because it's God who sets the time scale. It's God who sets the appointed time. Not us. That's what makes waiting hard, isn't it? Because we all know the right time is right now. Isn't it? The right time is right now. That's why we fear. Because we assume that we know. We have this assumption of our own omniscience. That's why we freak out. That's why we experience fear and worry and despair because we know what's going to happen. We know this is going to go wrong. We know this is not going to work out. Except we don't, do we? We have to have the humility to acknowledge that we actually don't know. As Tim Keller describes, we need to lay down the burden of our assumed omniscience to experience the relief 
of admitting to God, I actually don't know how this is going to turn out, but you do. Christian living is not about knowing everything. It's about trusting God with everything. And so waiting with patience means not blowing up, not giving up, not freaking out. Having the the humility to trust God, to say to him, I actually don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what the right time is. I don't know what's best. But you do. So please will you help me to trust you and to wait patiently. And, and God tells us we, we need to know that this is going to seem to us to linger. But it will not be late. The fulfillment of God's promise, it will seem to us to dawdle. But it will not delay. It will certainly come. God's revelation is like Gandalf in Lord of the Rings. I love it when he turns up and he says, a wizard is never late, nor is he early. He arrives at precisely when he means to. That's what God's revelation is like. God's timing is like that. I love what Paul says in Romans 5. It was at just the right time when we were still powerless that Christ died for the ungodly. When Jesus came the first time as one of us to die on the cross, he was not late. He was not delayed. He was right on time. We always think, don't we, that God's timing is wrong. It doesn't feel right to us, but God never gets his timing wrong. Ever. And I know that's hard to hold on to when you're in the middle of a crisis. And God knows that too. He knows our weakness. He knows our impatience. He knows that we cry out to him, how long, O Lord? And so he assures us it will not prove false. This is a trustworthy, reliable revelation because it comes from the God who is faithful. Its truth may not be immediately obvious or apparent. At times it may look like it will never happen, but God says one day it will certainly come. And so Habakkuk's very first question that we looked at a couple of weeks ago, how long, O Lord? He has an answer. He's not given a specific time frame or a date, but he is given a promise. There will be an end. Wait for it. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. Wait with patience. Fourthly, wait with faith. Wait with faith, verses four and five. We, we get now to the, the content of the revelation, the vision that God gives to Habakkuk, which I think is verses four to 20. We'll look at the second half of it next week. And it begins in verse four, you can see with that word, see. That's how we know this is the beginning of the revelation, the vision. See. And this revelation, it contains the central verse in the book. If you want to know what Habakkuk is about in five words, six words, it's this. The righteous will live by faith. 
six words is what Habakkuk is all about. The righteous will live by faith. And in verses 4 and 5, the righteous are set in contrast to another group of people. God is telling us there are two ways to live, though one of them only results in life. Two alternatives that define the destinies of every single one of us here this morning. Faith or pride. Faith or pride. At first glance, those may not immediately strike you as opposites, faith and pride. Shouldn't it be like faith and reason or belief and unbelief or just good and bad? No. Faith and pride are the two alternatives for the simple reason that at the end of the day, you either trust God or you trust yourself. Those are your only two options, faith and pride. And by far the longest description is given to the proud. The enemy is puffed up. His desires are not upright. Wine betrays him. He is arrogant and never at rest because he is as greedy as the grave. Like death is never satisfied. He gathers to himself all nations and takes captive all people. It's a description of Babylon, the, the army that's coming to judge Habakkuk's people, God's people. The Babylonians are puffed up with pride. They're marked by this arrogant self-assertion, self-sufficiency, self-reliance, self-determination. Chapter 1, verse 11, their own strength is their God. And they have this restless, insatiable ambition for conquest, which is never satisfied. They are as greedy as the grave, like death, always wanting more. And that is always how it works. If there is no God, the only one left to worship is yourself. If there is no eternity, then all that's left is the restless accumulation of pleasure and possessions. If there is no saviour, you have to work to make yourself safe, even if that comes at the expense of others. But God's warning for Babylon is that they are heaping up ruin and retribution for themselves. God promises there will be a day of reckoning when the wine they have drunk in joy will betray them, when they get a taste of their own medicine, just as they've brought it on others, death and destruction will come upon them too. But the challenge is that this isn't just about Babylon. Babylon is the, the stereotype for human arrogance and self-assertion, but the thing is that pride is our default human condition. For every single one of us, that's just our default. And the thing about pride is that it expresses itself in a refusal to do the other things we've seen this morning. So pride refuses to ever get perspective because my problems matter. Pride refuses to wait and listen for God's word because my opinion matters. Pride refuses to wait patiently because my timescale is important. Pride refuses to stay at the watch post because I prayed for things and I didn't get them. So I walked away. Pride only stays with God as long as we get what we want from him. Pride treats God like you would never allow anyone to treat you in a human relationship. 
Pride stands over God in judgment rather than under him in humility. And so pride refuses to faithfully trust God because my way is better. And I know it. But in the end, pride only brings death. But the righteous will live by faith. That's the alternative. It's the only alternative. The righteous live by faith, seeking to get God's perspective because they know we live in a bigger story than just me and my life and my problems. God is doing something bigger. The righteous live by faith, waiting with expectancy to hear God's word because they know his word will not prove false. The righteous live by faith, waiting patiently because they know they don't know everything. But God does. The righteous live by faith, standing at the watchpost, not going anywhere, sticking with God for his own sake, not just to get something from him. The righteous live by faith, depending on his faithfulness, continuing to trust him. Relying on his word. And God's problem is that the righteous who wait with faith will live. For for Habakkuk and his people as they anticipate the Babylonian invasion, God says, if you continue to trust me, you will live. Even if you die, you will live. After the exile to Babylon, there will be a, a restoration, a resurrection of God's faithful people. The message of Habakkuk is very simple. Don't give up trusting God. Even when you are confused and bewildered, don't give up trusting him. The righteous will live by faith. And that little phrase, it it takes in the whole Christian life. Faith is how we commence the Christian life. The righteous are those who lay aside their self-reliance and look to God who know that they contribute nothing for their own salvation. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, you need to know that right standing with God to move from being his enemy to his friend does not happen through our own works. It comes about by faith. The righteousness of God through which we get life is not earned by us is freely given to us by Jesus through faith. It's what Paul says in Romans 1. Not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power that brings salvation. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last. As it is written, the righteous will live by faith. It's how we start the Christian life, how we commence the Christian life, and it's how we continue it. Real faith continues in that persistent posture of trusting God. That's how the the writer to the Hebrews talks about it. I'd love you to turn there with me. If you've still got one of your your Blue Church Bibles open, turn to page 1209. 1209, Hebrews chapter 10. So 1209 in the Blue Bibles, Hebrews chapter 10. It's the end of it there, verses 32 to 39. 
The writer of Hebrews says this, Remember those earlier days when you received the light, when you endured in a great conflict full of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You suffered along with those in prison. You joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property. Why? Because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised for in just a little while. He who is coming will come and will not delay. And my righteous one will live by faith. And I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. But we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. Hebrews is a letter written to a persecuted, suffering church. It's written to encourage them to keep trusting Jesus. And he says to them, don't throw away your confidence in Jesus. Because whatever possessions get confiscated from you in this life, because you're a Christian, whatever following Jesus costs you right now, it will be worth it because you have better, lasting possessions in heaven. But how do you know that when you can't see it? You live by faith in the promises of God. Chapter 11, verse 1. Faith is the confidence in what we hope for. Assurance of what we do not see. Trust his word. Trust his promise. Faithfully wait for God to do what he has said. That's what Habakkuk is being called to do. That's what we're being called to do. The righteous will live by faith. That's the teenager at school who's the only Christian in their class unafraid to be known as a follower of Jesus because the righteous live by faith it's the people who continue to give for the work of the gospel despite the rising cost of living because the righteous live by faith it's men and women who live in countries where they are persecuted where their stuff is confiscated where they're sent to prison why do they do that they trust Jesus despite hostility because the righteous live by faith it's the office worker excluded because their colleagues know what their views are on sexuality and gender, but they keep trying to share the gospel. Why? Because the righteous live by faith. Is all of us who trust Jesus continuing to trust him, even when we are confused, even when we have questions, because the righteous live by faith. Is all of us, as we fix our eyes on Jesus, trusting one day he will come. And he will make all things new. Because the righteous live by faith. The whole Christian life from beginning to end. And as the Babylonian army darkens Habakkuk's horizon. God says to him. The righteous live by faith. So will you trust me? Habakkuk never lived to see it. But the Babylonians had their day in the dark. 70 years later, their empire fell overnight. Judah was restored. And one day there will be a resolution and restoration of all things. 
a day of reckoning for all people when every proud enemy of God will have, will have their day in the dock, when wrongs will be put right, when righteousness and justice will reign forever. It will come. Except it's not so much an it, but a he. Lastly, very, very briefly, wait for Jesus. Jesus Christ himself is the focus of our waiting. And when God speaks to Habakkuk, he tells him, though it lingers, wait for it. It will come and will not delay. But this was never really about it, but a he. In just a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. What Habakkuk was waiting for is what we are waiting for. Not so much the Lord's answer, not so much the Lord's explanation, but the Lord himself. Jesus Christ coming in glory to judge the living and the dead, to make all things new. And so our faith is like Habakkuk's forward looking because we are still waiting. 2,000 years since the first coming of Jesus, we are still waiting, still living by faith. But our faith isn't blind, that's why it's not faith and reason. Our faith isn't blind because it's based on God's proven faithfulness to us. And we have even more to stand on than Habakkuk did. Because we, we can look back to the cross. We look back to God's ultimate revelation, his ultimate answer for all of our questions. To the cross where God demonstrated his righteousness, judging sin and wickedness in his own son. Where God demonstrated his faithfulness, keeping his promise to send a savior. To the cross where God demonstrated his love, sending his son to take the punishment that we deserve for our pride and our self-assertion for our stubborn refusal to trust God, going our own rebellious way instead. Jesus has paid. He drank the cup of betraying wine. He took the judgment so that through faith in him, we could find life, so that we could live. And Jesus promises, just as he came once, he will come again and he will not delay. We're still waiting. And lots of times, while we wait, we will be confused like Habakkuk, crying out to God, how long, O Lord? Why are you letting this carry on? But the righteous live by faith. When life goes on as normal, the righteous live by faith. When the dreaded diagnosis is delivered, the righteous live by faith. When the crisis comes, the righteous live by faith. Trusting God with our lives, our families, our futures, our world. As we wait then, let's wait with perspective. Seeing something of the bigger story that God is writing. Let's wait with expectancy, hearing his word as we gather together. Let's wait with patience, knowing we do not know all there is to know, but God does. Let's wait with faith, persevering, trusting him, waiting for the fulfillment of his promise. Do not throw away your confidence. 
it will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you've done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. Jesus Christ will come. Until then, the righteous live by faith. Let's pray. In just a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. We thank you, Father, for your trustworthy, reliable revelation that Jesus will come, that he will make all things new. And we pray that as we wait for that day, please help us to live by faith in your promise. And we ask in Jesus' name.